Welcome to Into the West, a Middle-Earth SVG podcast where we discuss the competitive side of the game. My name is Charles, and with me today are Richard, Ian, and a special guest, Mitchell Hammond. How's it going? Welcome back to the podcast. Mitchell was on our episode where we talked about Amder, Lord of Blades, way back in Season 1, Episode 7. And today, in a similar theme... We have him back to talk about another Easterling hero. And today it is uh, going to be the Dragon Emperor of Rune. So we'll be breaking down the profile, talking a little bit about his legendary legion. And Mitchell has brought two lists to share with us today. So Mitchell, how have you been doing this past year? Been good. It's been a busy year for me. Obviously, we haven't released hard, I don't think, any Duran Show podcast, if not since like February. I'm assuming. So I, and that's partially due to my work, but content will be flowing again, finally. So that'll be exciting. Things will start moving along. I've been keeping up with the hobby a little bit, going to tournaments. So that's been good just to keep my sanity, but everything's been good. Awesome. And the profile we're talking about today, it's part of a whole bunch of stuff that Easterlings have gotten. What have you been the most excited about with this faction? Honestly, just painting. Uh, it, it's strange for me to say that, but I had an incredible time painting because I bought um, 30 of the um, Forge World Black Dragons, six for the dismounts, 23 pikes, and then one banner. And I've been, I had a uh, a lot of fun actually painting all of those, plus the Dragon Emperor, plus updating all my acolytes, the 12 acolytes that I got, and then uh, all my old Easterlings, and I've been slowly chipping away at those. And it's been a lot of fun painting them and learning new paint schemes. And uh, that's been my favorite part of this, honestly, is the painting. That's a lot of Easterlings. I'm glad uh, you've been working a lot of overtime. Yeah, no kidding, right? That's why I did it. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It worked out well. It only cost me my firstborn child, but <laughs> it it was a lot of fun. It was definitely worth it. So sorry, son. But. Yeah, and um, for those who haven't seen uh, Mitchell's display board for his Easterlings, uh, go check out the Duran Show's Instagram page. I think he won the best display board at Clash on the Coast, the recent tournament we talked about. So yeah, it was, it was amazing. Thank you. I had a lot of fun with that. I uh, I stumbled upon that sometime this summer um, for STL files for um, Japanese theme buildings and everything and farms and everything. So I bought all of the STL files and I've been having uh, Max, who uh, MTM Printworks, who does 3D printing. And I've had him slowly printing those off and I've been painting those up for a, a eventual con board that I want because I don't see any con boards. And I would love and obviously everybody who knows me knows I love my chariots. But I want a con theme board, but it's fit well with the, my Easterlings. So I put it on my Easterling display board and it worked out well. Okay, that's cool. The final question I had before we dive into the Dragon Emperor is, you know, we have a new year coming up, 2023. Do you have any armies that you might want to keep some projects secret to surprise us at, at the next tournament? But what's one project that you're planning for next year? No projects I'm going to keep secret. One that I bought from you, actually is the um, Paths of the Druidan Legendary Legion. I built that, um, and I have obviously the Rohan painted, so it's just painting the Druidan. That's the only project I've been thinking about. Honestly, it's just been kind of recircling. So I have a lot of things painted that I want to visit that I haven't played in a while. I've been having a lot of fun with my Cond. I can't seem to go away from it, and I can't seem to go away from the Easterlings now. 
I'm also considering playing Earl the Young again, which I haven't played really since that tournament in 2020, March. I think I played it once or twice. But I would like to, I was thinking about Earl again. So that's about it. No secret projects, no new armies planned yet. Richard's having flashback to flashbacks to Nam. <laughs> it was it was funny because I did promise the next Canadian tournament I would go to, I'd bring a trebuchet, and I didn't. So maybe the next one, I don't know. Be fun. We'll just have to see. Maybe if I had brought a trebuchet, I would have beaten Richard, but I lost to Richard. So, I don't know. Take it what you will. All right. Let's dive right into the Dragon Emperor of Rune. Mm-hmm. So, this is one of the... I would say the biggest releases of uh, Defense of the North. And uh, he's a hero from the Easterlings army list. So he's a hero legend, 170 points. And keywords are man, Easterling, infantry, and hero. And uh, he's move six, fight six with a four plus shoot, strength four, defense seven, three attacks, three wounds, and courage six, three might, three will, and three fate. He has heavy armor, the Emperor's Glaive, Helm of the Dragon, and the Royal Palaquin. Dragon of Emperor Rune and his Palaquin counts as a single model for a breakpoint. So his glaive is an elven-made spear that can use the faint special rule. And he can also use the shielding rule, uh, even though he doesn't have a shield. He can't support on while he's on his Palaquin, though. The, his helm gives him the resistant to magic special rule. And... For Heroic Actions, he has Heroic Resolve, Heroic Strike, Heroic Strength, and Heroic Defense. He has two special rules. First one is Phalanx, and second one is Emperor of the Easterlings. So friendly Easterling models will benefit from the Dragon Emperor Standfast, regardless of range. And this will also include Easterling heroes. So the Palaquin is a unique model with like unique mechanics where it's like it has like six bearers underneath the Dragon Emperor and they they move and fight together. I guess we can talk a little bit about the Palquin as we go through the rules, but just with this profile, any want want to jump in, like initial thoughts? How much would you guys price this like base profile at, like without the Palquin? I'd put it at like 110 to 120, kind of like Thor and Thrain kind of level. Like the profile reminds me of that, like very much. But I'm just curious what you guys think. I could say that. So Amdur base is 130, and he has two plus fate, and but he doesn't have the banner without the palanquin. So I could say the 120 to 130 range. I could see that. Yeah, I think he's already you know, close to Amber, if not better, because he's a lot more durable and he has all the heroic actions that you would need. You know, he might not have the conditional banner, but having that stand fast, including heroes, that's that's really, really solid. The resistant to magic, too. That's that's the big thing is having the resistant to magic is um, huge because that's one of Amber's big weaknesses, obviously. Yeah. And we're just talking about his base profile. So, like, if he gets dismounted, if he dismounts and has to fight, he's a really solid profile already. But the main sort of reason you get him is for the Palaquin. Mm -hmm. So, just to summarize what the Palaquin does is it gives him a little bit of protection from shooting. 
right? And then it also gives them extra dice in combat where when, when the Dragon Emperor is in combat, you can roll extra dice when you roll to wound, uh, depending on how many bearers are left. And also, I guess most importantly is uh, the Palquin is a banner, right? It's a 12-inch 12 12-inch 12 banner, not just a banner effect. And a plus one fight value for six inches. So it's a... Yeah. It's a Boromir's banner on steroids. Kind of like Boromir. <laughs> but better. <laughs> Not better. Boromir is still really, really scary with his he banner should, on horse. He should be the cost of Boromir White Tower plus like, Amder. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, so is the Emperor, though. Like, he's still a scary combat model. He can only fight one model or two models a turn, max. But he's probably going to kill them, unless they're yes. like... So dwarfs. I'll kill your eight-point warrior one turn. Okay. Now, he's definitely worth his points. I won't say that he's not. He is definitely worth his points for 170 points, because the Fight 5 pike block plus a 12-inch banner is definitely worth 170 points. But don't think that he is Boromir going around not only buffing the troops, but also slaying heroes at the same time. He's not. He very unless your opponent I, is really really stupid and charges the emperor. Yeah, that, it's not gonna happen. That's the thing is like he, he's more than capable of killing heroes if they go into him. He just he can't chase oh, yeah. them down. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, but he's like, more than willing. Yeah, I'd agree with that. But your opponent knowing that it's gonna be like, yeah, I'm gonna stay away from that guy and I'm gonna go over here. <laughs> yeah. And do something else. So like, yeah. There's trade-offs. Yes, if someone was to charge into the Emperor, he is more than capable of killing that person. But the problem is everybody knows that he's capable of doing that, and they're not going to charge him. So he's going to sit there fighting eight- or nine-point warrior models. So what I'll say is we are reviewing this profile months after its release, maybe about half a year. And I think the advantage of that, the good thing about that is that we've all gone to his tournaments and have played against this Legion. And initially, if the book was to come out and we were just, just to review now, I would mm-hmm. think that this profile is horribly imbalanced. And, like, to me on paper, he should be at least 200 points because of what he brings. He basically turns half your Easterlings, at least half your Pipe Block, into, like, cheap Elves because they're Fight mm-hmm. 5, Defense 6. And if you just count his base profile and then compare him to another banners type of support hero like a Suladan. Like he's way better than Suladan. And Suladan's already an undercosted hero. But then after playing against it a few times, you like I can see some drawbacks to him. Like the big base is a weakness. And then also if he dismounts he will lose the the Palquin. And you know there are things that you can do to kind of neutralize him a little bit. I do still think that he should be a little more points, but like his points value should be is still like really cheap for what he brings to an army. Even though I don't necessarily think that he's horribly broken anymore, I still think that he's 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 undercosted. That's yeah. very very fair. And the only thing I can counter to that is that an undercosted hero maybe balanced some overcosted troops, right? Because what we said in our last episode, the last time I was on, is that Easterling warriors are kind of not worth it, right? If you think about the Black Dragon troops. They're not really worth it for 11 points, which is what you used to pay. And now, even if you pay the 11 points, now suddenly they're worth it, right? Because they're now not only just fight four, they're fight five, and they have a banner support. I think that goes into the next section where we talked about the base profile without the Palaquin. 
and then we get the upgrade and then we're like okay now he's now he's really good arguably undercosted and then we now have to bring in the legendary legion bonuses which you know the That's argument fair, you fair. just made he can bring free black dragons so absolutely <laughs> Absolutely fair, because if I'm playing Legion, that's why I bought the 30 Black Dragons I did, right? There's no way I'm not taking max Black Dragons, because for nine points, I get a shield, a pike, which is a D6 fight five warrior for nine points. Yeah, there's no way I'm not doing that. Yeah, and typically, I think a Legendary Legion with really good bonuses should in theory also be one that's like has heavy restrictions because that's usually like the trade-off like the, like mm. the well that's what a well-designed legendary legion is and really this list it just loses kamul and amder like the, it's it's basically the easterling army list and i think that it's not restricted very much and you're getting a lot with a legion and that's what makes it a really good legion as well so you know last last episode yeah. we were talking about well, how like the, the new legendary legions in this book are really strong. This is the other one. Yeah, I could see that. So I think based on what we're saying, like he's underpointed, like the base profile. I think, I think we can all agree. Maybe not by like 50 points, maybe by, like 20 points, it, like 20 more points. And he'd probably be at a pretty good spot with like balance with everything else. But, okay, sure, if he's 170 points in the normal list where you have to pay two points for the Black Dragon upgrade, that's probably fine. But in the Legion where he's super cheap and then you get, you know, 36 points just in his Warband for free because you don't have to pay for the upgrade and then more points if you're not doing the the Dragon Knights, it kind of gets ridiculous. It does get good. One thing Easterlings have never had, and I've been playing Easterlings for years now, I can comfortably say this is that they've never had the numbers. So they've always had good defense. They've had good heroes, but, and they've had a, a, a D six pike block, obviously, but they've never had the numbers. And with the Legion, what it does give you is the numbers, right? So I think on the clash on the coast, I think I was 42 models, if I believe. So that's 800 points. I can get four solid heroes and 42 models. I've never been able to do that before with Easterling. So the Legion does give you that. It doesn't solve the killing power. It What it does is just throw dice at it, right? So whatever your dice are, that that's pretty much killing power, right? So I can still, that's why I went with not eight or nine Acolytes, which which, which is what I did because it's a fight five, pack, uh, fight five pike block with four dice to win the fight plus a banner. So that's five dice. And the front two are fainting. That's the killing power equivalent. So yes, it does do that. When you're throwing that many dice, it it doesn't. They you yes. have the killing power. Yes, exactly. It, and, and, it accomplishes the same thing. And and it's not just having. It's having it a fight five too. So you're gonna win a lot of fights. Yes. And when you're throwing four dice at the problem, you're gonna get a lot of wounds anyway. Even if it even if you need sixes. With half of them fainting. So yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So and, I, I would argue that they do have the killing power now. With numbers, yes, by, I agree. I agree. I'm, I'm not that, saying – I'm not – what I don't want anybody to say is that I'm saying that the Easterling Legion is bad. It's absolutely good. It really, really is. Otherwise, I wouldn't play it, right? It's really, really good. I just don't think it's OP. I think it's really, really good. I think the killing power from that Legion comes from the heroes. And that leads me to – 
you know, bring it back to the Dragon Emperor. Another rule is in the Legion is that you can re-roll the dice so in combat. So even though he's not a cavalry model, you know, there's been some discussions online about this, but he isn't. Uh, so he doesn't get charging bonus or whatever, and he doesn't get to use the Palaquin guys to roll to win the fight. So you're like, you're thinking, oh, only three three attacks. Okay, he's a self-banner, but in the Legion, he gets another one. So that's five attacks that you basically can't neutralize. I mean, he also has the fight six and uh, Elven Blade. So he's tough to win a fight against. I think what makes this uh, hero scary is it's buffing like a, I would consider Easterlings and one more elite army because since since like numbers they're usually not very high and like when you think about 12 inch banner effects you're thinking like survivors of lake town or fiefdoms where you can get to fight five but it's like a very small bubble and then if you want like six inches of fight five you have to ally in boromir which is would be like double the cost of the dragon emperor if you had him in emerald so this is like the first time where you could get like a fight five army with 12 inches of rerolls so that's very fair that is their gimmick i i feel like that is their strong point right if you think about the dragon emperor legion it's a fight five pike block with banner reroll absolutely um i think the only thing i would disagree on is i find that it's less about the heroes with the legion it's more about the warriors whereas a normal easterling army is about the heroes and less about the warriors so it's a little bit different in that mind, if you if you understand what I mean. I mean, one of the weaknesses the Legion doesn't completely take away is that they're all still strength three. Mm-hmm. You have the the Wardrakes, which I haven't faced yet, but they, they're supposed to add hitting power. And I guess the Acolytes have two attacks, which, you know, you're rolling more dice, but um, the base strength, it still maxes out at three for the most part. Yes. And like we said earlier, it's about the dice, right? When you throw that many dice, you're going to kill things. That's where the strength in the Legion lies, I believe. Like for me personally, throwing four or five dice into a combat will kill things. And that's where I found the Legion hits really hard. Rutabi does really well. The Emperor does really well. But they don't kill a lot, if that makes sense. But they do buff the army. Like Rutabi does her Master of Battle, which absolutely is critical in the Legion. The Emperor does his Fight 5 bonus and the 12-inch banner, which is critical. But those two models don't kill a lot, but they really buff the Warriors. And now the Warriors, who were just a D6 pipe block that die slowly, now actually do some killing. That's where I saw the shift, personally, when I played it. Mitchell, do you want to kick off with your rating of this fantastic hero? <laughs> um Well, based on how you guys score things, and um, it's really, really hard not to play Easterlings without him because he, the 12-inch banner is really, really good. Because if you think about it, Amder is the next closest thing you can do. So, And you wouldn't take Amder without a horse, right? So basically, you're paying 145 points for Amder. And he's a 3-inch banner unless he kills your leader, and then he becomes a 6-inch banner. And it's not an actual banner, but it's still buff. And Amder is really, really good. And I think all of us can agree that Amder is really, really good. So really, for a mere 25 points more, you get an Emperor. It's definitely worth it. Don't get me wrong. 
So I have to say it's hard for me to build a list in Easterlings without him. Do I think he's perfect? No, but he's pretty damn close. So I put a 9.5 probably. I agree with you. He's not perfect. He should cost more. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. But you also have overcosted warriors. This is this not is in the a, Legion. This isn't a review Easterling <laughs> Warriors episode, Mitchell. Okay. <laughs> For me, I think he's, I think he's an easy ten. I think he's he brings so much for 170 points. I know that the Easterlings before this book were not considered a very competitive army, but they are now and. He is an auto include, I think. He's he's low enough where if you take Amdur now, if you take Kamul as like the centerpiece of your army, you're you're going to feel it. You're you're gonna feel a huge difference. And I think he's gonna be the backbone of like most competitive Easterling players. Uh yeah. So I think easy ten. Yeah, Charles, I think I definitely agree with you on that. Like you could take any old Easterling list. That had Kamul in it on a Fell Beast, it was 170 points. Swap him for this guy, and it's instantly like way better. And that's like without the Legion bonuses. With like that, like that's like I agree, you you notice a huge difference. So, I mean, like how can you not give him like a 10 out of 10 like right now? He, and a lot can, of people put Kamul as in the top three ring rates. Yeah, so, I don't know where we like, put him. I think we yeah. put him at four or five, but still. <laughs> Like, yeah. yeah, it's it's crazy. And then I don't know, put it in the Legion. What is he in eleven? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 nuts. I'm with Ian here, and I promise I'm not trolling, but I actually think he's like a twelve out of ten. Like, because I think ten out of ten is like, you know, in a game, you're okay with it if the Legion or the Army list is weak enough. You could be like, okay, you can have a perfect 10 out of 10 hero. I think we gave like Prince Imrahil and like Suladan 10 out of 10s, but I don't really see an issue with those because they kind of work in the list. And I know Mitchell definitely disagrees with me here, but I think even with like the weaker Easterling Warriors, I still think he needs a tweak and like a downgrade. So in that sense, he's like a 12 out of 10. I think he needs to be brought down to a 10 out of 10. <laughs> I think that's absolutely fair. The only thing I can rebuttal with, and you guys make really good points, I'm not going to argue with it because he's worth it. He really is. Anybody who says he's not worth it is wrong. Is he undercosted? I would say yes. Yeah, that's fair. The only thing I can rebuttal with is the fact that I actually met Jay Claire, which is kind of the unique highlights of my year this year. And when asking him about it, is he said nobody said it was worth it unless he was 170 points. So unless it was a choice between him or Kamul, nobody would take him. And I kind of trust his playtesting on that. And I think he, he kind of nailed it because he makes it worth it, right? Now all of a sudden we have a profile in Easterling that is to be feared. Puts Easterlings on the map, whereas before it was just me screaming and losing games. Now 
it's it's quite solid. It really is. Is it unbeatable? No, absolutely not. Obviously, Richard proved that. He whooped me. But um, I do think it's quite good. But now, now no one picks Kamul, and to the point where they forgot to print him in the army that's, list. And that's, that's, yeah. that's 100% true. I, I never See, liked Kamul to begin with. I never took Kamul yeah. anyways. And so now I've completely forgotten him. I will never take him again. Absolutely. That, You're 100% that statement correct. is true if the Legion didn't exist. Then it'd be like, okay, fair enough. But the Legion exists. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's fair. That's very mm-hmm. fair. It's very true. I'm kind of like towing this line. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not by any means. I've just played the Legion enough to know it definitely has weaknesses. It does. That would be a tough argument to say it's bad. Absolutely. (laughs) I'm not trying to. How many games have you lost when running the Legion? Uh, Three. No, three or four. Three. Out of how many games you've played with it, though? Maybe like. 15 or 20 yeah that's pretty good (laughs) ratio i agree with that i mean you're a good player though like not to downplay that but like yeah i agree i i get that but at the same time like i've never podiumed i've taken it to two tournaments i've taken the legion to two tournaments and have yet to podium with it and i agree with you i don't think i'm a bad player i don't think i'm the best player but i think I'm, i'm i'm pretty decent one of the things i've run into and which is why my second list I have come up with is D4 armies. D4 armies are sh- driving me nuts because it's the main weakness of Easterlings. So they're a strike three army base, correct? So I still need fives to wound, and they hoard out like crazy. And I'm seeing all these D4 armies. It's frustrating the hell out of me because I know just one chariot <laughs> will wreck their day or one great piece of Gorgoroth. One, something to punish these D4 armies, but I'm not seeing it. So, I don't know. Maybe it will adjust itself, but that's what I'm seeing in my local media metas. Before we get to the rest of the segment, I just want to remind everyone to please like the video if you enjoy this content, and please consider subscribing to the channel as we have a whole bunch of new content coming your way, and subscribing means that you'll be notified whenever a new video is posted. Thank you all very much for tuning in. Now on to the rest of this segment. Let's move on to talk about the two lists you brought today then. So Mitchell brought two lists to share with us today. One is host of the Dragon Emperor Legendary Legion list uh, that he played at Clash on the Coast. And the second one is outside the Legion where it's a historical alliance. Do you want to start the Legendary Legion since we kind of talked about that in the last bit? Yeah, absolutely. So the Legendary Legion, what I will say about this is when I got wind that this was coming out in Defense of the North, and once I got wind of the points cost, so that I hadn't actually had the book in hand yet, I kind of had an idea of how this was supposed to be built in my mind, and I built it this way. So this does not have runish wardricks. It has as many acolytes as I possibly can because I like the two attacks, um, and it just is a solid pike blocks with good heroes um so this list if i pull it up really quick um and i could probably say it off the top of my head has the dragon emperor it has Brogir, who in, in this order of what i think you should take is the dragon emperor Brogir, rutabi and the dragon knight and the dragon knight is strictly because i think he's much much better in the legion i wouldn't take him outside of the legion anymore i don't think 
but in a legion he's five attacks six attacks if you charge to win the fight at fight five with strike and strength four he's he's very very good and he takes free black dragons so it includes with the legion when you get free black dragons in the emperor or the dragon knights warband it increases that quite significantly to 48 points free essentially and a lot more potential uh, fight five, if not fight four models. It included, I think, max like 23 black dragons with pike and shield and one black dragon cataphract with a drum. And then it included like nine acolytes, if I remember off the top of my head. And that's pretty much the list. So it's 42 models, if I remember right. It's uh, 40 models. Uh, I have the Is list 40? in front of me. Yeah. Sorry, 40. Yeah, 40 models. Yes, you were right. I mean, that still hits the, uh, I think, the critical amount for 800 points. So, yeah. With 10 might, a three plus master of battle, and one model that gets blended glory. So, just a quick question to maybe kick you off in talking a little bit about the strategy. Most of the time, as I've seen this Legion at the 800 point mark, instead of the Dragon Knight, what people do is they'll spam out the numbers to get it to maybe like 46, 48, instead of getting the fourth hero. So like, why did you go this path of uh, lower numbers and then having that fourth hero? Is it just about the might? It's a little bit of both. So it, um, it does a couple of things for me personally, and I'm not saying this is the right way. This is just the way I've been playing it. So if you see a wizard, or any kind of spellcaster, the Dragon Knight's automatic target. So it's easy to forget him and just say, okay, he's going to be eliminated this turn. If you don't have the Dragon Knight, the next target is Rutabi, who has only two will. And so they're going to go for her. So if you have four heroes and 40 models, and only the one guy who's worth 80 points is being neutralized, that seems worth it in my mind. If you don't see a wizard, then you now suddenly have a fight five model with strike, two might, blood and glory, and six dice to win a fight when he charges on infantry models. And he suddenly becomes a really scary target with blade wrath, with Brogir in the list. So he becomes a really killy hero. So obviously he's the obvious target if you have magic, so it's easy to forget him. If you don't have magic, you better watch out because he's going to tear you apart. That's kind of why I went with it, because to me, he, he's worth it for only a difference of eight models. And also free black dragons, another six free black dragons. So it's another 12 extra points in my mind. Not saying that that's the best way to run him. I could definitely see running just the three heroes being totally worth it. I really could. And yeah, is there downsides? It's kind of frustrating to have an 80 point model doing nothing or constantly being compelled or I kind of do that, I accept it. And then the games where you don't have any magic against you, really really fun to have him and you're really glad you have him yeah i i mean i like it it's uh it's an addition of another mounted hero i think you can't really put a value on that because i think we talked about it like dragon emperor one of the main weaknesses is the movement uh, rutabi is on foot rogrier not the best fighter so dragon Knight, i think gives you that striking range you know you're already a fast moving army but i think that really puts on the pressure and and to crash into the battle lines you can kill troops and i don't think a lot of you know mid-range heroes really want to go up against it i mean 
I'm even hesitant to throw maybe like a big hero into it if it's your leader because he has the heroic strike as well. I can see why. I mean, I played against this list, right? And I went away with a minor loss against you. And the Dragon Emperor was uh, frustrating to deal with. I, I mean, I didn't have magic, so that might be the reason why. But there are still many armies with heroes that cap at fight five. And it's just, it's risky whenever you want to fight against uh, a hero that you know is a le lot less valuable than yours, but has like a 50-50 chance of um, taking you down or at least dismounting you if you lose. On just the list in general, I don't think I've seen one that's badly built with this Legion. Like we were talking about how the profile was of the Dragon Emperor was a bit overtuned. I think the Legion is as well, and that's why when both of them are stacked together, it feels so incredibly strong. If you want to play pure Easterlings without allies, there's almost no reason to play a pure Easterlings list because you get Amder and Kamul if you don't take the Legion, but I just don't think that they bring enough. Comparing with the Legion, I don't think they bring enough. It's it's an easy choice for any Easterling player. This is definitely like a Legion that can win tournaments. I know you haven't won a tournament with them yet, but every time I played against it, uh, it's made me sweat, especially in scenarios where it's like about killing your opponent. Lords of Battle to the death. I think it's very hard to break this army. Uh, we didn't even talk about the actual fighting this army itself but i find it really hard to grind against this legion so this list gets a hero legend for me so i'm I'm thinking back to when i was building my list for clash and i kind of like i had the idea in mind that i wanted to do and i built it and then i was like oh what if i run into the easterling legion and like bay earnings to a, to, a, to a separate extent like fight five Okay, and then I like specially tuned my list to have more fight six in it, so it would be like good. And like I had the strength four and stuff, so I'd be able to like chop through this or chop through Bay Arnings. I didn't fight a single one of those lists at all at the tournament, I was very upset about that. <laughs> um, but like, I don't know, this is like the first time I've ever actually like looked at like new stuff that's come out and what I think people are going to be playing and been like, I need to focus to be ready for that. Hmm. Otherwise, if I come up against it, like I'm gonna lose the game. Yeah, it's 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 a very great list, and I think I love a balanced list. And I think the way you built it was is is quite balanced for the Legion. I mean, no bows, but it that doesn't matter so much when everything is basically everything is D6, and they're all gonna be moving nine inches a turn. And um, you have nine throwing daggers, so there's okay. You, you do have some, yeah. You do have a little bit of skirmish potential there if you want it. Yeah, so I think I have to give this one a, this this a legend as well. Yeah, I think um, we both we all know the potential of this list, and I think we were talking a little bit off air before. Um, you were very very close to taking the tournament. You know, even though I did beat you, you ended up sixth. You could have easily won and or podiumed, and I think it was fifth. But yeah, anyways, fifth yeah, or sixth. Yeah, I think maybe. The only thing I would change if I were to play the list, just because maybe I'm a bit more conservative in this sense, is maybe switch out a few of the Acolytes. I don't know about having nine, but I mean, they are harder to kill than you think in this Legion because they're backed up by Pikes, Fight 5, and all that. But, you know, I think it came into effect in our game, which, you know, I was able to take your numbers down a little bit by shooting them because they were the only 
viable targets essentially. So personally, that's the route I would have gone. But again, I think that's more personal preference. I think you can obviously do very well with this list and love the hero choices. Nothing I would change there. So hero of legend for me. It's my best score yet. I like it. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, obviously I love the list. I played the Legion 10 to 15 times, maybe more now that I think about it. It's yeah. Cause actually if you think of tournament play alone, I played it more than 15 times, but I like it a lot. It, it it definitely put Easterlings on the map. I and I'm not gonna say it's not podium potential. It definitely is. To me, this list is Hero of Legend. I don't think per for me the list gets any better, which is why I built it that way. And it's just my play style. It's not shooting. It's not skirmishing. It's get in your face and just do work, which is what I like. What points value would you say is the best for the Legion? I'm just curious. Like is this is this like the ideal, or or could it also do like really well at a different points level? Eight hundred points, I would say, is ideal. Uh, it's hard for me to say I built a really good list on paper without Broar gear, and I need points to include Broar gear. So for if we're talking the Legion, I did I did take this Legion to a five hundred point tournament as well, and I basically had the Emperor and Broar gear and Max uh, Warriors and model count which I think was 27 at 500 points, which if you think about it, a D6 fight five pike block with five might, a 12 inch banner at 500 points is really, really good. I still lost final round to a, a, a hunter orc list and it just shredded me. And so it's like, yeah, it, it, it is really good. But even at 500 points, I'd still say it was really, really good. I think 800 points for me because I can get the emperor, I can get Brogear and... I can get Rutabi. So thanks for sharing that list. I think the one you're sharing next is what's like the most interesting to me because we're talking about how good the Dragon Emperor is in the Legion. Looking forward to hearing how he is outside of the Legion. So let's hear about your historical alliance list. So my historic alliance right now, the list that I've been playtesting is 750 points, which I don't know about you guys, but I do not play many 750 point lists i very very rarely it seems like it's either 600 points or 800 points these days so 750 was very very interesting because it changed up everything you'd be surprised what that last 50 points can get you so in my 750 list i brought the dragon emperor obviously who is my leader and i bought a, an easterling captain which is debatable but i did bring the easterling captain and this is just for because I'm missing my numbers. In a Legion, we talked about how I get my numbers for free, which is great. It, with outside the Legion, I'm still paying for those really, really high pointed Easterling models. So it, I had to boost my numbers a little bit. So I have a, a Dragon Emperor, an Easterling Captain, and between the two, I have the drum, which you should always take the drum, no matter what. I think that's agreed upon by everybody, not only for the synergy, but for the movement and everything. I have five warriors with shield i have seven warriors with pike and shield and i have seven warriors with pike shield and black dragon so there's a my pike block to basically the captain and the emperor they go together they move together the pike block moves wherever they move on either side of the pike block this is where my alliance comes in and this is kind of my idea because i said this already i'm seeing a crazy ton of d4 armies 
And it's driving me nuts because every time I see a D4 army, I'm like, if I just had one chariot, one chariot. So I have two chariots in this list. I have Condish King on chariot and I have Condish Chieftain on chariot because I think the hero chariots are definitely worth it. The warrior chariots are iffy. If you have the chariots already, they can be good if used right, but they're a lot harder to use. So I went with just the hero chariot. So I have Condish King and a Condish Chieftain, both on chariot. And between the two, I have eight horsemen. And horsemen, I think, are great. And that's 32 models, nine might points, 10 bows, 750 points on the dot. And that's basically my list. And, and what I've noticed is that the Dragon Emperor provides his 12-inch banner, which is not a banner effect. It's an actual banner. So it affects my Condish models, which is great. So that means I can split the Condish King and the Condish Chieftain to either side of the pike block if I wanted to. And it affects my Condish Horseman. It, it still affects my pike block, which becomes fight five if I want to on the back rank. And it still is decent model count and decent numbers and might points, if you know what I mean. If you listen back to our Assault on Lothlorien episode, this is the list that I think really counters Assault on Lothlorien, in my opinion, because it's got the D4 killing power, which AOL pretty much has D4 throughout. It's got a, a crazy amount of speed because even your infantry block is boosted up by the drum. You have Heroic March in there, so you can close the distance incredibly fast. And I don't know about eight horsemen but again they're fight four and you're rolling an extra dice with the banner and you got a massive pike block so this is this is scary um <laughs> i i haven't played against something like this but on paper i think it has some underrated tools here even though i know like the easterling captain and the the condis chieftain are maybe not the most competitive choices that you see around but maybe it's more about fit rather than you know taking the most uh, overpowered heroes i think by underrated you mean mobility <laughs> like every single warband in this list has the ability to boost movement so like if you're not going to be fighting that turn there's no reason for the infantry ones to be moving not be moving nine or 12 if you do if you combine it all and march together and then the horsemen they can move 15 if they want or can they go up to 18 yeah they can if they're within drum range and the march uh, they're not affected by the drum or is the drum the drum has the easterling keyword yes okay okay which still. kind of is a good synergy because you can still have a nine inch moving pike block and still charging cavalry or yeah. chariots if you want yeah. Oh, that's cheeky. Oh. Yeah, because then you're not worried about like overextending your cab because you have the infantry right behind them. Yeah, a uh, big fan of this list. But Richard brought up, you know, how the captain and the chieftain being a little bit like not necessarily the best picks. I actually thought, you know, maybe you could take uh, Amder in this situation since you're not in the Legion. Maybe you can combine the points. They're spending it on those two heroes and get Amder. But, I mean, the reason for your alliance is to take chariots, so you probably want the second one in there. I get that. Because if you just play, like, a normal Easterling list and give up your Legion bonuses to get Amder, that's probably not worth it. 
and that would basically be what this would be if you drop the Condish Chieftain. So I understand your hero picks. I might try to sneak the, the horse in for the Easterling Captain, just so you have another mounted hero, but... There is a horse option, but I would never do it. Because, oh, personally... two-handed weapon. Well, you lose the two-handed weapon, and the captain is just fight four. Okay. He's just a he's a fight four captain. That's why I've never taken him in the past. He's terrible. He's never reliable. Basically, you're paying 55 points for a D7 two-might hero, but he won't do anything because he'll lose every combat. Now with the Emperor... He has fight five behind him. So he'll win fights and a banner. So he'll win fights. He's got fight five behind him. He's got four dice plus a banner to win the fight. And he can piercing two-handed if he wants to. That's why suddenly I decided the captain was worth it. Because he synergizes with the Emperor particularly well with a fight five behind him. But could you could you potentially swap him with it, one of the named heroes like Brogreer? You could, um, and I've 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 gone back and forth on this. You absolutely could. It would cost you um, uh, about twenty five points. Two horsemen. Yeah, that's quite, that's quite yeah two horsemen exactly. It would cost yeah. you two horsemen. Yeah. So I think this list is very effective with the Dragon Emperor kind of giving your all the con models a a reroll as well. I mean, this the only thing that's a little bit sad is you lose the Connish King's banner effect like it since they don't stack you it's kind of like you don't have it uh you, you can't use it anymore but I guess like with one more dice it's still really good the king is still what like four dice with a reroll on the charge and then yeah he's still four dice with a reroll and you, I yeah. played this list about three or four times three about three times I would say and what I love about it is yes it kind of is redundant with the emperor legion but at the same time what i've had in the past is you have to have the kings to get the banner and you have to have two kings usually to spread out that banner range well now if you have the emperor you can spread out and you still have full table-wide coverage of banner so you still have the 12 inches in the middle and you can send your king way off on the side and you still have banner coverage out there. So it's kind of, yes, it's a redundant, but it's also kind of extended a little bit, like a half, like a 0.5 or something. So I'm, I'm guessing if you jump this up to 800, you basically just swap the captain for Rotabi? No, I'd swap it for Brewer Gear and add a couple of models. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. That makes sense. Yeah, I guess your model count would be kind of low. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah, you don't have a lot of Courage 4 guys in there. You only have seven. Most of my front line is Courage 3. The yeah. heroes and the chariots ignore Courage, but most of the front line is Courage 3. Yeah, yeah, and then even the Easterling bonus it only kicks in for half of your army, and that only happens once you're broken anyway, so not the greatest against her. Yeah, I really like this list. It might be a little bit strange for me to give this the hero of valor since we all praise the dragon emperor so much the first part of this episode but i think it's i think the restrictions of being able to ally in con it, it kind of gives your list a few weaknesses like uh ian just brought up the the courage thing and then also just you're, you're better at facing d4 armies but then you also have a lot more d4 like you a the eight horsemen is a quarter of your list so you know, if if your opponent kills the right models, it could go down to that break point 
early on. I don't know how well this would do against shooting armies because you can close in so quickly, but I definitely think this is probably a list that's easier to break than the Legendary Legion. Uh, but I still think it's a really good list. It's just, um, it's probably not good against every single type of army. Right. Um, but yeah, still a solid hero valor for me. Okay. I I think it's... I, I see what your point is, Charles. And I do think it's less good than the Legion or less competitive. Because I think the Legion is just you know, good against, like, most armies. Like, if I could have given, like, the Legion, like, something above Hero of Legend, like, Mighty Hero of Legend or something, I would. But this list, I think it does qualify for, like, maybe, like, a lower-tier Legend, just because I think it matches very well against the current meta and, like, some of the, the lists that are really strong right now, too. How much we talk about shooting is being prevalent in the meta. I think this is probably one of the most anti-shooting lists that you can get without going into like blinding light, which I think is really cool because it just really gets in there. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I like it. I'm going to copy Richard um, and kind of give it a hero of legend, but I'm going to give it like an Earl hero of legend. <laughs> <laughs> you mean you have the legendary hero special rule but you're not a hero legend okay i like it that's an asterisk on that i like that i'd agree with that 100 this list sacrifices my numbers and my d6 horde ability for a lot more killing power and and while i'll say this is this list to me on paper is not as good as legendary legion it's not but i've played it and i've seen it perform better than the legendary legion so it's one of those lists that you have to play it and you realize this is better than it looks on paper it it really is and i'm I'm a big fan of it so far yeah i believe it I and mean, i think mobility is underrated because I, I think when i saw your uh earl list in the past with you know you had like 10 like sons of earl or something and most people would say that's probably going too cavalry heavy but the way that you played it was really, really scary because it's just a lot of fast-moving models and you hit extremely hard. And I think it's very similar to this one. I think not only is it moving fast, these aren't like Warg Riders or Wild Wargs. Like, when they hit your line, it's going to really hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what I've been seeing on my playtest so far. So coming to a tournament near you, maybe. <laughs> maybe, possibly. <laughs> I will take it to one of these events. I will. There's no way I'm not. I just don't know which event or if all of them. But I like it because personally, you, you I mean, you guys know me well enough. I hate to bring what's popular. So I brought the Legendary <laughs> Legion. I did. And it killed me. But I did bring it. So now I'm looking for a little bit of change up. Just a little bit of flavor mix up. Just I'm still taking the Emperor, but just a little bit of flavor. Well, Mitchell, thank you for coming on to the podcast once again to talk about another Easterling hero. Mm-hmm. Uh, always great to have you. And um, thank you to all our listeners for tuning in. Look forward to the next episode of Into the West podcast. <laughs>